I want to invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to look at facing your fears in Nehemiah chapter 2. And many of the uh, heroes of the faith uh, still feared and still had fears. Of course, we remember Moses being very fearful when God uh, called him uh, to do a special task. And we see even in, uh, in Nehemiah, his fears come about here in Nehemiah chapter 2. All of us at different times will face uh, different fears. And uh, there seems to be a name for almost every fear uh, in the book. So I want to start out with an exercise and have everybody stand up. So everybody can stand with me. Yep, go ahead and stand up. And I'm going to go through a list of fears. And if you have one of these fears, then I want you to sit down. Okay, so I'm going to go through a list of fears. And if oh, Mike's already sitting. So if you have one of these fears, go ahead and, and sit down. Now, I'm going to slaughter probably some of these uh, official names. But I'll give you the official name of the fear and then what it is. Because you probably won't know all of them by the official name. Here we go. So we're going to start off with a big one. Lepidoperdophobia. You know what that is? A fear of butterflies and moths. So we have a friend in Brazil who is very afraid, and Jessica uh, sat down on this one, all right? Creophobia, creophobia, the irrational fear of extreme cold. Scott Ashmore at Lebanon says he has this. Uh, Catseritophobia, the fear of roaches. All right, we lost some on that one. Arachnophobia, I think everybody knows that. Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Claustrophobia, claustrophobia, the fear of being closed in spaces. When Michael was younger, he was terrified when we would go into car washes. And my mother-in-law still doesn't like going in car washes. So claustrophobia. Aerophobia, an extreme fear of flying. Extreme fear of flying, all right? Still good, still have some very courageous people. I'm going to make up another one. Uh, this is a, a made-up David Huffman one, but uh, we noticed one of our children had this when they were younger. Bus phobia. When Mike was younger as a toddler, the first couple times he rode a bus, he was petrified, and we had a hard time getting him settled down. Bus phobia. Anybody? No. Aquaphobia. Irrational fear of some type of body of water. It can even be a bathtub or a pool. friend in high school was extremely, after she came to know Christ, she did not want to get baptized she did, but with great fear because she was afraid to be put under water. So aquaphobia. Ophidiophobia, an extreme fear of snakes. We lost some more on that one, extreme fear of snakes. Glossophobia, fear of public speaking. And we lost some more, fear of public speaking. Actually, actually yes, very good. Trypanophobia. An intense fear of needles. And we lost another one. I think I can identify with that, especially if I have to watch somebody put a needle in me. It's a no-go. Uh, Mary Kate, one of the vaccinations she got years ago, it was humorous, but uh, she was almost wanting to run around the room. Did not want the needle. Ergophobia, an irrational fear of work. <laughs> Nobody? Okay. FOMO, FOMO, fear of missing out. Okay, all right, so let's give these last three a hand because they're our most courageous. Very good. You may be seated, Dan. Fear, oh, that was in here somewhere. Fear of heights, anybody? Dan? All right, and Barb, too. Okay, very good. Rats, ratophobia. I, I don't know, what do you call it? But 
And so a lot of, we all have uh, fears, and some of them God has instilled in us for uh, safety and things like that. So all fears are not necessarily wrong. But there's many fears that we're going to face in our life, and we have to, to determine how are we going to face these fears. Well, first and foremost, we, we need to recognize our fears. We need to recognize our fears. To be aware of that, to, to, to try to determine, okay, is this a, a good fear? Is this something God has put in me? And even if it is a good fear, am I allowing it to go to an irrational extreme? One that we heard Pastor Carl from Radford Baptist in Manita, Virginia, mentioned several weeks ago, a fear of failure. There's probably not a phobia name for that. But many of us, like Carl said he did for a long time, we often struggle with this fear of failure. Now, there's several reasons. Many of them, I think, come from a source of pride that we fear failure. Some of the questions that we may find ourselves asking ourselves is this. Will it be a waste of my time and effort? So if, if this is something I'm supposed to do, even if God calls me to do this, but maybe we fear failure, we begin to think, will this be a waste of my time and effort? Well, if we allow that to go too far, then this is kind of the end result of that in thinking my time and effort are more valuable than obeying what God has called me to do. So if I allow that fear to keep me from what God's called me to do, I'm basically saying my time and my effort are more valuable. I'm going to put them above God's calling because I value more those things than I do obeying God's calling. Something recently that's been an encouragement to me is to be reminded that I, I am not responsible for results. If God calls us to do things, and he does, and we obey that, then that's God's, that's God's business. And I don't have to think if God is using his time and resources or my time and resources well based on results. That's God's call. He can decide if, if he's getting the, the bang for the buck, if you want to think about it that way. So fear of failure will be a waste of my time and effort. Another question we think sometimes for fear of failure will be a waste of my money and or possessions. Is this a good investment of my money? Am I going to get a good return if I follow God and do these things? Is that really a good return on my money and possessions? This can lead us to an idol of saying my money and possessions are more valuable than obeying and following God's call. Will I disappoint others? You know, maybe, I, maybe I'll try, but if I don't succeed, or maybe even the way that I go about it, if I'm not going to succeed at pleasing others, then, then that can become an idol. I value more about what other people think of me than what God has called me to do in his review of me. Do I have the ability? This is somewhat maybe from the source of pride, but it also is a lack of trust. If God's called us to do something, and this is something that Moses faced... You know, but, but I stutter. I have trouble speaking, Moses said. And he lacked his ability, even though God said, I will give you the words. I've called you to do this. Nehemiah was called to a task, but we do see a glimpse of some fear that he had to face in obeying God in that task. So our, our thought is, do I have the ability? And if we allow that to keep us from following God, I'm basically saying, God, I don't trust you enough. Even though you seem to make it clear this is what you want me to do, I don't trust you enough 
to give me the ability to follow your leading. This is fear of failure, also the fear of criticism. The fear of criticism. So you may even think, yeah, I may succeed, but I don't want other people to criticize me or ridicule me in the process. Fear of criticism. A fear of sacrifice. Now you can fill in the blank, and I don't want you to do this out loud, but think through this, and even in weeks and months to come, as God calls you to do things, as the Holy Spirit leads you to act upon His, His prompting from day to day, I want you to think about sometimes we'll say this kind of, or we'll think this kind of in our head. I need such and such to be happy. And so if I can't have this or have that, then I won't do what God's calling me to do. So I need, and it could be a number of different things, I need these relationships. And if, and if I have these relationships, then I'll be happy. But if I may have to sacrifice these relationships, then, boy, it's, it's too much for me. I really feel like I need this level of comfort to, to be happy. And if I have to maybe sacrifice some of that, then, well, I can't really follow God's will. So there can be a number of different things. A fear of sacrifice. One is physical desires. Is it sinful necessarily, uh, in just in a general sense, is it sinful to desire safety? Is that sinful in just a general? No. You know, most of us that have brains do try to be somewhat safe. Now, as we watch extreme sports and some of those things, uh, if you've ever seen Josh Jagger doing the mountain biking and, and things like that, uh, there's some people that, that do some crazy stuff. But safety, we can even allow that to come to an extreme. Goodness, God's called me to do this, but how safe is that going to be? You know, there's... I, I mean, I, I'm going to say this, and I want you to understand, this is not in any way to exalt our family. Um, but Sao Paulo was a very dangerous city. We knew God had called us there. Uh, for many, many years, life insurance companies would not raise our life insurance premiums because when the, they asked, where do you live? I said, well, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Nope. I'm not going to raise your life insurance uh, coverage. But honestly... There were very, very few times that we really felt fearful in Sao Paulo. Is it because it was the safest place to live? Absolutely not. Had people murdered around us? I think I've told you one time I was in a store with Audrey, and about from me to where she's at now, uh, a guy was murdered off his motorcycle bike, and the door, I mean, the, the door of the grocery stores were wide open, and, and we saw right after that, we saw him on the ground. People, one guy left our church, is involved in drugs, and two blocks away was shot uh, point blank by, by two, several drug, drug lords. He was involved in drugs, hadn't come to know Christ. We were pleading him to come to know Christ. He refused to do that. He said he wasn't ready, and he didn't make the decision fast enough, and unfortunately, he is not in heaven today. It was a very dangerous place, and some da dangerous things that happened, but God called us to do that. And while we were ministering there, we felt that God was in control. There were some times where we felt fearful, but very few. There are some dangerous things that you and I will be involved in in Metro Atlanta. 
But we need to understand, okay, has God called me to do this? If so, then I should not allow safety to become my idol and keep me from following God. Another thing is comfort. Physical desire is comfort. Walked in the nursery, the, the, uh, the, or what Northwest Classical knows as the conference room, and it was a little hot this morning. So what did I do? I checked the AC, and it was like 76 degrees. Like, okay, no, let's put it to 74 at least. Get a little bit cooler. I love air conditioning. Comfort is not necessarily bad until it becomes an idol above what God has called us to do. Years ago, our youth group, uh, I was just going to tag along with my parents. I wasn't quite in the youth group yet, but we were going to take a missions trip to Canada to a camp. It's a rural, kind of a remote camp. Uh, but when one of the teenage girls discovered that there was no electricity and she wouldn't be able to use a hair dryer, she said, no, I can't go. Not going to go. And because she didn't go, then her friend didn't go. And because that girl didn't go, then their friend didn't go. And in the end, it had to be canceled. Because comfort had been allowed to go to an extreme and keep them from doing the opportunity that God had called before them. Physical desires. What about personal goals? Personal goals. Well, if I do this, then I can't, then I can't go up as much in my job. Or if I do this, then I'm not going to be able to excel as much in sports. Or if I do this, then I'm going to have to suffer or give a little bit in my academics. So we have this tension. God's called me to do this, but I don't think I can do that and still reach the personal goals that I have in this area, this area, and this area. So it's a fear of sacrificing some of my personal goals. What about emotional desires? Man, I just really want to be accepted. If I follow God, if I stand up, if, I, if I'm not ashamed of what he's called me to do, then I'm not sure that I'm going to be accepted in this group at school. Or I'm not sure that I'll be promoted in this job position. I'm not sure that I'll have... We need to understand all of these are idols that we can allow to be put in God's place because of our fear of sacrifice. Join with me in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, we respond correctly to our fears by, one, talking to God faithfully. Talking to God faithfully. Two weeks ago, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, we looked at a lengthy prayer of Nehemiah. And we begin to see a glimpse of, of Nehemiah's prayer life and how, how intimate his relationship was becoming with Almighty God, Jehovah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, in verse 1, we pick up, Four months have passed since he was made aware of the need, since he sensed that God was calling him to respond to the need. From the end of Nehemiah chapter 1 to the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 2, we know this by the names of the months, four months had passed, and so it, it appears that Nehemiah has continued to pray, continued to seek God's will, and then we see soon that God opens the door for him to act. Let's pick up in chapter 2 and verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. The king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then notice, Nehemiah records, then I was very much afraid. Now, we, we don't live necessarily in this context. 
But it could be that Nehemiah, just his complexion, and if the king got a sense that Nehemiah wasn't content or Nehemiah was displeased with him, perhaps, this could even be physical danger for Nehemiah and certainly maybe even losing his job and his special position. So Nehemiah, even though we see in Nehemiah chapter 1 a very close and intimate prayer to God, we see here in a moment, Nehemiah, like all of us, we face fears. And Nehemiah says, well, I was very much afraid. So, it's important to continue to talk to God. Because our thoughts will carry us, our our heart is desperately wicked, who can know it, Jeremiah says. So if we allow our thoughts to continue to control our actions, then we will certainly go towards the idol of comfort, physical desires, personal goals. But as we continue to talk to God and sensitive to Him and allowing the Holy Spirit that lives within us to guide our every step, it'll help us to face our fears correctly. You know, someone has wisely said, doing the will of God is just taking the next right step. Doing the will of God is just taking the very next step. Some of you are still in elementary school. Some are in middle school. Some have just graduated from college. Others are in their second, third, and going in maybe even to the fourth year of college. Some have, have gone through a career and you're, you're somewhat retired but still, still very busy. There's different stages that are represented by our church family. But doing the will of God is still just doing the very next step right. Sometimes we have this long-term thinking of, okay, doing the will of God is only the big things. Well, certainly those things are part of it. But the process to get there is step by step, day by day, acting upon what God calls us to do, obeying, trusting, renewing our thoughts, talking to him, listening to what he, he has to say in return, and obeying and following God, talking to God faithfully. You know, we'll see throughout the rest of the book that Nehemiah talks to God often. Many of the prayers that recorded are not necessarily long prayers But they give a glimpse of Nehemiah's intimacy that he has with God. And all of our prayers don't need to be long and lengthy and filled with theological terms. But we should have a prayer relationship with the Lord that at any time we can come before him. Say, God, I need wisdom. God, give me courage. Lord, help me to to put away that arrogant thought. God, help me to, to bring into captivity, as the New Testament says, the thoughts that don't please you talking to God faithfully. We also, we see listening to God intently. Let's jump back to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 11. And Nehemiah says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then he gives that kind of footnote. Now I was cupbearer. To the king. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, we see Nehemiah's request for God to listen to his prayer. God, would you be attentive? But we also see in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah's readiness to hear God's response. Now, the first I would say that many of us do often God, are you listening? Lord, listen. Lord, if you would only do But I pray that like Nehemiah, we would be just as ready to hear his response. 
Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So we've just left off. The end of verse 2, it says, Then I was very much afraid. In verse 3, I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? Notice this next phrase. This is key. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah was facing a fear. He had waited for four months, it appears, for some reason. I think praying all along, God, give me wisdom, help me to know when to talk to the king. And the moment comes. Nehemiah's complexion is sad that the king asks why. And he's overtaken with fear, not sure how this is going to go. But he feels, he knows this is the, this is the moment. This is when God is given the opportunity. And he's, he, just, he prays to God. It's not even recorded what he prayed. But yet at that moment, before he talks to the king, or a king, he talks to the king, God, and he says, God, basically, help me. Give me wisdom. We see that he is ready to hear God's response. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. A couple things I want to make note here. God made it clear to Nehemiah as to when he should present this request to the king. So sometimes as we're doubtful in different moments, okay, I believe God's called me to do this or to say this or confront someone, but spend time in prayer before. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to know. Help me lead me to the moment, to the opportunity. Don't, don't allow me to drag it on forever. Help me to be ready to act and ready to hear your response. But talk to God before. Sometimes we say, bathe it in prayer. Nehemiah did that. God made it clear to Nehemiah as to when he should present the request, but he also made it clear to Nehemiah how to present the request. Notice Nehemiah did some things here that at first glance, maybe we would just pass over, but Nehemiah did not mention the name of the city, Jerusalem. He, he, he relies on some personal connections, but he doesn't even mention the name of the city, Jerusalem. It's possible that he didn't mention that. Because in the time of Ezra, when, when the, the first or the second return, actually, of Israelites back to Jerusalem, Artaxerxes shut the, the project down of the rebuilding of the walls. I'll read it for you in Ezra chapter 4, and verse 12 and 13. It says, Be it known to you, king, that the Jews who come up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. This is Ezra 4, 12 and 13. They're finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Verse 17 of Ezra 4 then says, The king sent an answer. Then jump ahead to verse 21. Therefore make a decree, the king says, that these men be made to cease, that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. Take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Surely Nehemiah knows this. Could be one of the reasons that he was fearful. Because he's filled called of God to request that the rebuilding of the walls commence again. Even though King Artaxerxes had stopped the project. 
even though accusations had already been made, if this wicked and rebellious city, as the the opposition people said, is rebuilt, they're not going to pay the tribute, they're not going to pay the tolls, and king, you better watch out, is basically what they said. But Nehemiah comes to the moment, and God gives him wisdom of how to ask. He didn't say the name of Jerusalem. He just said the city... Basically, where that's, this is my city and, and, and where my, my fathers, my relatives have died. He has a special relationship with the king. And God uses that for Nehemiah to ask wisely. But also, notice how Nehemiah approached the king. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse, th- verse 3, he requested humbly but passionately. And he said, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Nehemiah makes it clear his goal is not to usurp the king. His goal is not to become uh, the king of Jerusalem and to, to be the highest in the land. He still shows submission. Let the king live forever. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight. Once again in verse 7 of chapter 2, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me. Boy, may God ask, help us as that we would ask, Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us to follow your will. But, Lord, help us also to do it humbly. Help us to follow the example here of Nehemiah. He requested humbly but passionately. He requested wisely. Also, we see, though, Nehemiah following God passionately. Following God passionately. And instead of fearing personal failure... As you face your fears, trust in God's faithfulness. Instead of fearing personal failure, God, I just, I don't want to fail. Trust in God's faithfulness. Thirteen years had passed. It could have been very easy for Nehemiah to think, well, who am I? How can I make a difference? If thirteen years has passed, it's already been stopped once by the king, there's very capable leaders like Zerubbabel and Ezra who've gone back before me. How, how, how is it that I could make a difference? Well, I think Nehemiah looked at God's faithfulness. One, his faithfulness of protection, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 7. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And then Nehemiah 2, verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now notice this. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. So not only did did the king provide letters of like authorization. Yes, you know, you can pass. But also provided officers and men and horsemen to go with him. In Psalm chapter 139 and verse 16, we see, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, David says. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, none of us this morning know how many days exactly God has planned for us. None of us. Could be that... I pray and I hope that a year from now that all of us will be in these seats. But it could be that we won't. As we've been reminded time and time again in the last two years, we don't know the time that God has ordained for us. 
I would never have guessed a month ago that Diane Frey right now would be in eternal presence of Christ. I never would have guessed. But that was God's appointed time for her. On the flip side of that, think of it this way. As God has determined, as David says, you've determined the days even before there were any of them had even started. You had already determined the days of my life. So think of this. If God calls you to do something, then until you fulfill his calling, his protection is sure. And if you lose your life in the process, it's because that was God's appointed time for you to go and be with him. So we see Nehemiah, he's, he's called upon this task, and he, he thinks and remembers the faithfulness of God. We even noticed in Nehemiah chapter 1, in part of the prayer, he calls back some of the promises that God has given to Moses. And he thinks back of the faithfulness and, and basically says, God, you've promised this, and, and we believe that you'll bring it to pass, that you'll gather back again the people, once again, that you have redeemed Recalls God's faithfulness. We see here faithfulness of protection. God's will cannot be hindered. We see also God's faithfulness of provision. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 8 continues on and he talks about another letter. Nehemiah doesn't just ask for letters of passage, but even asks for letters of provision. It says, in a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Notice the response. And the king granted me what I asked. Why? For the good hand of my God was upon me. Now these people in Israel, the people who've already gone back uh, through, through Zerubbabel, through Ezra, rebuilt the temple, that, that in itself was a huge feat but yet 13 years have passed. The walls still remain in, in rubbles and the gates have been burned down. It's this group of people that have most recently been in captivity. Some are still in captivity. Is this the group of people that has all kinds of resources, they're well established and are very ready to give to a huge building campaign? Yes or no? No, they're not. So Nehemiah knows this is another instance that he could have been very fearful. God, how in the world can we build all the walls back when these people have just recently been in captivity? But yet he asks, under God's direction and the courage that God gives, King, we need some wood. We need wood right now, don't we, still? In the United States of America, we need wood. And God provides. Why does God provide? Well, we see in Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. As God calls us to do certain things, our tendency as humans is to calculate the cost from the very beginning and go, God, can, do you think, do I think I can make it happen? And the test of faith will often come when we see God's call, but we see our lack of inability and, and provision, and we go, I just don't, I don't see how the two are going to matter. I just don't see how they're going to meet. God, I know, I feel like you're leading me to do this, but I don't know how it's going to happen. That's what faith is all about. Moving forward by faith. And God shows to Nehemiah, yes, I will provide and I can provide. And the promises we see in the Old Testament, even throughout the New Testament, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So we can trust in him. 
he's called us to do it, he will provide the way. But also trust in God's power. God's power. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. We will face spiritual warfare. May there be no doubt, you will face difficulties. If God calls you to do things and to move forward for him by faith, you will face trouble. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly. That someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. But as we've seen before and reminded once again, God's power is more than enough. And even through the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 and 4, we read this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's faith in the God that even in this day, are we facing spiritual warfare in May 2022 in the United States of America? Huge spiritual warfare. I'm very thankful that we can still gather and we don't, we don't have to fear gathering this morning. But I don't know how much longer that will last. We're facing bombardments and attacks against the family, attacks against the church, attacks against God's word, attacks against God's creation, how we're made, who we are. All of these things, we are under spiritual attack in a great way. Unfortunately, a lot of times we, we don't even think about it. Oh, that's modern times. It's spiritual warfare. We will face spiritual warfare. And may we be called to say, God, you've called us to do it, and I will trust in you for you to have the power. I don't have the power. Sometimes we, we find ourselves saying, I can't do it. You know what? You're exactly right. We can't. But God can so as we look to him, we need to trust in his power. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following say this. Finally, be strong in who? In the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And once again, we see Paul reminding us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare, but God's power is more than enough. So we need to trust in his faithfulness, that he's sufficient to provide protection. He's sufficient to provide provision. He's sufficient to give us the power. We also need to trust in his faithfulness to give us wisdom. Nehemiah chapter 2, and verses 11 and 12 so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. That's important. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one in which I rode. As God calls us to act and to obey him, may we ask God for wisdom as we plan out our actions. God will rarely give us a playbook. Some of you have been involved in sports. You may have received a playbook. Maybe it's all digital now, but I remember playing football and going to preseason and getting a list of plays that we had to go through and we had to memorize so that when the play was called, we knew where to line up and we knew where to run and the blockers knew where to block and we knew how to run the play because that was in the playbook. 
God often does not give us a very detailed playbook. He wants us to rely on his wisdom. God, I know you've called me to do this, but I don't know exactly how. Lord, help me to trust in you to give me wisdom. And Jeremiah or Nehemiah rather says, I told no one what my God had put into my heart. Notice the next few verses, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And, and as we read this, think about this. As God calls you to do things, don't be afraid if at first it seems like you might be the only one or part of very few. That's where we see Nehemiah. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 2, 13 through 16. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. Real estate around that area probably wasn't very high. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on, verse 14, to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass, probably because of so much rubble. We see even later in Nehemiah talking about how much rubble there was. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. But notice verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest, oh, by the way, who were to do the work. Nehemiah is is confident this is what God's called me to do. God's already shown some of his hands of power and provision by King Artaxerxes reversing a former decree to stop everything by saying, yes, you can go. And in fact, I'm going to send army men with you. I'm going to send even letters of passage. And I'll also provide the lumber that you need to build the gates. Nehemiah's seen this. He's seen God's hand in it, yet... One of the huge parts of the, of the puzzle here, Nehemiah can't build the walls alone. Nehemiah knows that there's enemies around uh, Jerusalem. And even after he goes back, even as he inspects what needs to be done, he still hasn't told the nobles, the Jews, which he says, these are the ones that are going to do the work. May we be ready to follow God and to obey him, even when it seems like there's not a whole lot of other people with us. Instead of fearing others' criticism, rest in God's calling and care. Instead of fearing others' criticism, rest in God's calling and care. In our our day of social media, this has become even more of a challenge. Because we want to be affirmed. We want to have the likes. We want to have the number of followers. We want to be accepted. We want people to think that what we're doing is great. What we do is cool. And how our family operates is really neat and special. So we need to beware that we don't automatically, many times even without thinking, seeking other people's affirmation. Well, it's very clear Nehemiah here has some very obvious enemies. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Oh, here it is. Here's the accusation again. Remember in Ezra, the wicked, rebellious city is being rebuilt. They're not going to pay you tribute. They're not going to pay you toll. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they bring it back up again. Nehemiah, what are you doing? You're rebelling against the king? But Nehemiah rested in God's calling and in his care. 
Instead of fearing temporary sacrifice, focus on God's eternal purposes. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. He's been jeered at, he's been mocked, he's been accused, but Nehemiah says, the God of heaven. So he's looking way past the temporary, he's looking past the rubble, he's looking past that he doesn't have a guarantee yet that everybody's going to follow him, he's looking past all of that, and he looks to the God of heaven, he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. That's why we're going to move forward. Instead of fearing temporary sacrifice, focus on God's eternal purposes. So he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. I want to challenge you that when you are tempted to focus on the temporary, the here and now, the immediate goals that you have for your job, the immediate desires that maybe you have for your safety and for your comfort, the immediate emotional desires that you think you must have to be happy and satisfied, remember that, it's wi- that you should be willing to sacrifice because of God's eternal purposes. The God of heaven rests in his calling. Our sole purpose is to fulfill his perfect will, his good pleasure. We are his servants, yet so often we try to reverse that and we say, God, this is what I want to do and I want you to help me do it. I want you to be my servant. We probably would never say that out loud. We're probably never going to bow our knee beside our bed and say, God, oh, you my servant, would you fulfill my will? We won't probably say that out loud, but oftentimes the way we live is exactly that message. God, I see in Scripture some things that you've made very clear, but you know what? I have other plans, and I want you to bless me in those plans, by the way. That's That's not according to God's word, and certainly not according to his purpose. Notice as we close in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Turn with me, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to look at another person, leader, who's experiencing fear and some of the remarks that he heard from Paul. As we discover true joy and true satisfaction and true purpose, we'll only discover that when we embrace our God-given role as his servants. As long as we attempt to demand that he be our servant, we're not going to fulfill the true purpose that he has for our life. Timothy, for some reason, seemed to be fearing something. He had, there were many reasons to fear during his day. But we pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, I, Paul, thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, verse 6, I remind you to fan into flame, or another, word, another way Christian, the Christian Standard Bible puts it, to rekindle to fan into flame the gift of God which is you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Let's stop there for a minute. Timothy had many reasons to fear. 
It's physical persecution. Paul himself, before he came to know Christ, had persecuted others, had stood and, 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 and watched persecutions, and even been involved in the death of those who followed the way, Jesus Christ. Timothy knew, yes, there, there's very real possibility that I could face persecution for my faith. Timothy is a fairly young leader. He also understands as he's leading the church at Ephesus that maybe not all will automatically respond to his leadership. There's a lot of reasons for Timothy to fear. But notice verse 7, For God, Paul says, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I don't think any of us this afternoon would just automatically choose, oh God, I want to suffer. Lord, may I face hardships these next two weeks as we end out May of 2022. But yet when the time comes and as God makes it clear that that's that's the path for us at that moment, may we be reminded God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And as Paul challenged Timothy, be ready. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and don't be ashamed of me. I'm suffering. Don't be ashamed and afraid and fearful of suffering. But share in suffering, he says in verse 8, for the gospel by the power of God. And in verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, Paul is telling Timothy, look beyond your present circumstances, Timothy. Be reminded of the God you serve, Timothy. He's the one who's conquered death, Timothy. Timothy, he's the one who has has immortality for you, Timothy. Then verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, Which is why I suffer as I do, Paul says. But I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able, not I am able, but he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Verse 13, we see several calls to action here. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, verse 14 says, who dwells within us, guard, another call to action, the good deposit entrusted to you. Then verse 15, we even see some of the more reasons that Timothy had to fear. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Figulus, and Hermogenes, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesphorus, Anesiphorus, rather, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. Moses, Nehemiah, Timothy, Hugh, and me. We all face fears. All of us will face fears. How will we face them? 
you know, fear is certainly a, a very common trait. And I think one reason that the song Fear is a Liar has been so successful is exactly because of that. I had no idea, but I, I, I've heard the song Fear is a Liar. And I, I just looked it up on YouTube. It's been viewed 9,529,000 times. Do you think a few people might struggle with fear? The song goes like this. When he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough, fear, he is a liar. Now, I don't know the author of this song. I don't know all of his theology, but I do know this. John 8, 44 says, who's the father of lies? Satan. And Satan can use many different things, and fear being one of them, to, to deter you, to, to enslave you, to do what God wants you to do. Fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. He will rob your rest, steal your happiness, cast your fear in the fire, because fear, he is a liar. When he told you you were troubled, you'll be, forever be alone. When he told you you should run away, you'll never find a home. When he told you you were dirty and you should be ashamed. When he told you you could be the one that grace could never change. Fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. He is a liar. Let your fire fall and cast out all my fears. Let your fire fall and your love is all I feel. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes as we close this morning?